The most celebrated holiday in America is not Christmas, it's actually New Year's Day. The beginning of a new year, the prospect of new hopes, new dreams, new possibilities, new opportunities is what excites most people about the new year. And what I'm looking for this new year is what I think many of you are looking for, and that it ultimately is a, quite a, a contrast from what the world is looking for, and that is I'm looking for more of God. Not that there are pieces of God, and not that He is reluctant, but we want to go deeper with Him. We want to be able to experience all that God has for us, and God's not playing hide and seek. God wants to be found. If you seek me, God says, I'll be found among you. If you forsake me, God says, I'll forsake you. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, God says, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We are told in Colossians 3 and verse 2, blessed are they that, excuse me, Psalm 119 verse 2, blessed are they that seek the Lord with their whole heart. Colossians 3 and verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. See, the problem is not on God's end, it's always on ours. In this new year, we could have the hope of experiencing God even more. It doesn't have to end our thing because the year ends. That ought to be our life thing to experience more of Him. According to YouGov.com, the top 10 resolutions every new year are these. Number one, lose weight. Save money. Get physically fit. Eat healthy, learn something new, drink less alcohol, quit smoking, reduce stress, get more sleep, travel more. Yet 44% of those who make these resolutions think that they can keep all of them, which means half of them, more than half, believe that they can't. And it's just a pipe dream for many. But that's what they do because we're, we're wanting to see change. And I do want us to get into, uh, as we progress, looking at what mindset God would have us to have about making decisions and how we can do more than just make resolutions, but we can create Bible habits that allow for God to do a work within our life in such a deep way. I also was reading, uh, someone said, how we can have make some kinds of resolutions and actually keep them. Because that's the problem with most resolutions. They're not kept. But I was reading, here's some resolutions you can actually keep. You ready? Read fewer books. Gain 30 pounds. Eat out more and quit taking lunch to work. Spend more time on Facebook and buy more junk on Amazon. <laughs> and I think we could all succeed at that. But that's not going to help us either. Uh, that's why I propose that what we need is not New Year's resolutions, but we need a New Year's revival. We have revival meetings scheduled, and Brother Jerry made up our cards, and Dr. Jim's no stranger 
to Canaan Baptist, but revival is more than a meeting schedule. It's the experiencing God. It's back to life, returning back to Him. Salvation is getting life. Revival is experiencing the abundant life. Jesus Christ is the Savior for the sinner. He's also the reviver for the saint. We need revival. We need reviving. And so for the new year, experiencing God more about Jesus, the songwriter wrote, is what we need. And a man named Paul, sitting in a Roman prison, of all places, gives us a perfect way to do that. In Philippians chapter 3, I trust you're there, I want us to look at three simple things that if we can do these daily, that is every day, we can experience not just a happy new year, but something that triggered my thinking on January 1st, Dr. Childs came out and, and um, we said, happy new year. And he said, how about a blessed new year? Amen. And I think that's what God wants us to have is a blessed new year. And if we could take these things that Paul gives us, then I believe we can experience a blessed, revived, abundant new year. They're doable, they're all achievable, and they're possible. And what is great is that if we do these things, they're not necessarily going to take you where you think you need to go. I believe they'll take you further than you thought you could go because they'll take you to God and where God goes. And it's sweet, it's straightforward, but these things, they put us in the realm of the supernatural. Let's look at these. Notice in Philippians chapter 3 and, and beginning in verse number, let's look at verse number 10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice in verse 12 and 13, Paul uses some terminology here to give us an idea of what we need to focus on and how we need to focus so that we can function right to have a blessed new year. Notice at the end of verse number 12, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ, verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, notice it, forgetting those things which are behind. Number one, leave the past. Leave the past. We won't have it on the screen. They're just too simple. So I, I thought you can do it without um, having it on the screen. We'll have the verses but it's just leave the past. We don't drive down the road constantly looking at the rearview mirror. Perhaps if you're in a NASCAR, you, you look at the rearview mirror quite often, and they do. But they still are going forward, and they're looking out the front window. And the rearview mirror is small for a reason, because that's not where you're focusing your eyes 
95% of the time. But many Christians fail to experience a blessed life because they live with the past looming much bigger than the present. So the first secret to becoming a new you and experiencing God even more is to leave the old you behind. And verse 12, that's what Paul is, is telling us. I, I've, I've got to go forward. I, there are things that I, I did not do to perfection. I haven't completed. I am not perfect. I have not fully attained is what he's telling us in verse 12. Let me ask you, did you make any mistakes last year? Did you have any failures? Wish you had some do-overs? Want the old you to become the new you a lot faster? Well, step one is just admitting it. I've said often in, in a counseling conversation, half the battle, half the way to victory is recognizing where we need victory. Good to see you, Laura. I'm glad you're feeling better. Glad to have you back. And um, Don's been looking strange by himself over there. He's and uh, he's, he's smiling, and uh, so I'm glad you're back. And I uh, can't wait to see Paisley again. And uh, those pictures, uh, they're, they're not sufficient. I've got to see her in person. Um, we, we've got to admit where we need growth. We've got to admit where we've had failure. Uh, we, we can't ignore, no, no one ever gets saved until they acknowledge the fact, I need to be saved. No one becomes God's child until they're aware that they're not God's child. And so admitting it, we need to take the baggage of the past that we, that we have and, and, and we've, we've got to quit carrying that into the present. And Paul goes on to tell us in verse 13, forget those things. Paul learned a tremendous lesson. And I believe here's what Paul's telling us. You can't focus on where you must go until you forget where you've been. You can't focus on where you must go until you forget where you've been. You cannot sail the ship of your life on the seas of the present and toward the horizon of the future if your anchor is stuck in the mud of the past. You can't run forward if you're always looking backwards. Now, there are many things I wish I could do again as a pastor. There are many things I wish I could do over again as a father and a husband. There are things I've done in my life I wish I could undo. There are words that I've said I wish I could take back. But if I don't get out of the quicksand of the past, I'll never get on the dry ground of the present. If you live in the past, you will lose in the present. If you live in the past, you will lose in the present. How many people cannot enjoy today's sunshine because they still live in yesterday's darkness? Listen. Your past, it doesn't define you. Your past does not have to dominate you. If anybody had a checkered past, it was Paul. And Paul is experiencing the joy, not happiness, but joy of the Lord always because he didn't let his past dominate him, define him, or destroy him. Your past does not have to define you. It does not have to dominate you, and it does not need to destroy you. There are many things in our past that we need to remember to forget. 
There's many things in our past we need to remember to forget. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul is saying. He says, forgetting what is behind. He doesn't mean fail to remember. He's not talking about a, a spiritual amnesia. He's not talking about a spiritual Alzheimer's setting in. He's saying here is a conscious decision to forget what is behind, not failing to remember. There's no way you can ever totally erase the past of our memory. If someone brought up to Saul, who became Paul, Paul, do you remember this in your past life? He'd say, yeah, I remember that. Because he didn't forget about it. In fact, Paul told us on occasion about what he was in the past. Letting us know he remembered that. But the words, the idea when he says forgetting, it means don't be influenced or affected by it. It doesn't mean that Paul forgot who he was. I don't think Paul ever forgot the horrible pit that Christ pulled him out of. I think the problem with us, with me many times is I forget how horrible of a pit that was that Christ saved me from. So when, when, when God says, I, your sins, I will remember them no more, it doesn't mean all of a sudden God gets spiritual dementia or he comes up with bad memory. He's God. But what it means is he no longer allows our past to affect our relationship to him. He doesn't hold, us, hold it against us anymore. I heard about a man who went to see his doctor and he said, doctor, you've got to help me. Doctor said, what's wrong? He said, I think I'm suffering from amnesia. I don't remember things very well. What should I do? Doctor said, well, just go home and forget about it. Anyway, <laughs> before you leave your past, let me say this. Before we leave it, learn from it. Learn from your past. It's all right to go over things you didn't do that you should have done and, and things you did you should have. And I don't know if I said those right, but and God can use our failures. And God can, can use those to make us a better person. You know where Romans 8, 28 comes in, where we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And God telling us there's nothing that he can't take in our life and use them together for good. He can take our poor choices. He can take our stumbles, our falls, our uh-ohs, our messes. He can even take our sin and work it together for good. He says all things. But the condition to that is it requires your total surrender to him. It requires your complete confidence and dependence upon him. It requires your absolute yielded, open-handed living to him. And God says, I can take any of the mess and I can turn it around. You can learn. I can learn from my past. It is true that those who do not learn from their past, they're doomed to repeat it. God is not a God of the past. He's a God of the present. He's the God of the future. You should not live in the past. You need to forget past guilt. In other words, don't be influenced or affected by it. Do you mess up in the, uh, uh, do you mess up, um, in, in the future still? Is there, is there, there, will there be days you're going to blow it? Well, probably. But what do you do? Deal with it. Don't dwell on it. Deal with it. So you're not having to, to be burdened down with the guilt 
and the sin which Christ died to free you from. Just deal with it. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, that is, if we agree with God, take God's side. God, you're right, I was wrong. Get cleansed, get free, get clean. Have you in the past messed up with somebody? Did you do the wrong thing? Say the wrong thing? Well, confess it. Repent of it. Ask God to forgive you. Ask whoever to forgive you and move on. Forget past grudges. Did somebody hurt you? Say the wrong thing? Do the wrong thing? Left you holding the bag? Walked out on you? Deal with it. You need to give forgiveness. If they won't accept it, put it in the bank. But upload it so they can download it when needed, but don't carry it around. Listen, your back was never meant to carry a grudge. Never. If you want a blessed new year, you've got to leave the past. Number two, you have to live in the present. Notice again verse 13. I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul says, I'm not perfect, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, once you put your past where it belongs, which is in the rearview mirror, you can put the present where it belongs on the windshield. You know what the most important day is in your life? It's today. You're not guaranteed of tomorrow. And you can't do anything about yesterday. It's today. And that's what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3.13. Two words in this sentence make all the difference in the world. Notice these two words in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Notice this. But this, look at it. Here's the two words. One thing. One thing. See, Paul understood that power comes from concentrating on just one thing. All psychological studies have shown that multitasking does not make you more productive. It makes you less productive. Studies have shown that multitasking can harm your brain, lead to memory problems, hurt your grades if you're in school, harm your relationships, increase stress, depression, and social anxiety and make you less efficient. You cannot multitask life. Every day should be one thing you seek. And what is the one thing? Well, verse number 14, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The word for mark is the word which means to look at. It's where we get our word telescope. It means to fix your eye on one small mark. We know that concentration is the secret of power. If you could take a river and make it flow in one direction and not overflow its banks, it can become a tremendous source of electric energy. We've discovered how to take light and concentrate it on the power uh, you can use to make a laser beam that can cut through steel. I think a great mission statement to adopt for this year. I think it'd be great if we did it for our church, our school, our life. And that is focus on one thing. Just focus on one thing. 
focus on one thing. What's the one thing? It's not something, it's someone. It's Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Inspire people to live a cross-shaped life. It's the same thing that Paul's talking about. You know what Paul's one thing was? Notice in verse number 10. Paul, what do you really, really want? What do you want for Christmas? Paul, what do you want for your birthday? Paul, what do you want for the new year? Notice verse 10, that I may know him. Now, remember, he's not saying I need to be saved. Paul's already saved. He's written um, half the New Testament and the Apostle Paul. Here he's, he's telling us this is his deep desire. This is his longing that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death. Paul says, I want to know deep experiential intimacy with God. This one thing, this one thing, this one thing. Paul said the one thing he wants to do every day of his life, I want to know Jesus, I want to make Jesus known. I want to know the person of Jesus. I want to know the power of Jesus. I want to know the passion of Jesus. And he says, I want you to know Jesus too. You want to every day see a, a, a blessed new you. You're going to have to leave the past. You're going to have to live in the present and make this one thing I do your motto. And that is to keep experiencing Jesus. When you're at work or at play, whether you're at the office or gymnasium, you make it your one goal to point people to Jesus. Inspire people to live the cross-shaped life by knowing Jesus better, growing in Jesus stronger, showing Jesus more clearly. Let me give you the third one. And if you follow this, you've already got it in your mind perhaps what the third one is. You've got to leave your past, live in the present, but look to the future. Amen. Look to the future. Verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The truth is, yesterday prepared you for today, but today prepares you for tomorrow. I believe you making the choice to be here tonight, it sets you up to be ready to meet with God tomorrow. Amen. As you look to the future, Paul repeats a phrase twice in this passage. He says in verse 12 and verse 14, I press toward. I press. I, I, I move on. I press on. You do live in the present. You must live as if tomorrow will never come. But you should also live in such a way that you are ready if it does. I think in the past, and remember in the 70s, when a lot of the emphasis was upon Jesus coming again. Jesus is going to come, and he's, he's probably going to come this year. A lot of churches went into massive debt because they weren't going to live long enough to pay it off, and Jesus was going to come. But Jesus didn't come in the 70s or 80s or 90s or any time yet. And many ministries shut down because of massive debt. We need to live as if tomorrow may not come, but we need to live in case it does. And Paul says there is a way to live with wisdom and biblical discernment. And he tells us 
that we live as if tomorrow will not come, but we live in such a way that if it does come, we will be good stewards of that. You may not have picked this up, but Paul is talking in terms of an athlete. He's describing a race because that is what life is. Hebrews chapter number 12 describes the Christian life as a race. We each have a race. And Paul's reminding us that no matter how dark tomorrow may look, no matter how dire our circumstances might be, no matter how discouraging things may appear, I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep running. I won't be deterred. I won't be detoured. I won't be distracted, he says in verse number 14. Look at it again. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul, you're in prison. Well, I press toward the mark. Paul, they're talking about putting you to death. I press toward the mark. And when every runner begins a race, he's all, he always knows where the finish line is and what it looks like. There is one thing he knows he can't Quit doing. If the runner is going to have a chance in winning, he knows he can't quit running. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I don't find retirement in the Bible. I, I, I don't think there's ever a time where you and I ought to take a break on God. I'm not saying it's wrong to retire from a job. You, you've had, many here have had jobs and and you, you, you've, you've stepped away from, from working in, in a certain particular field, but there's no place to retire from God. As long as you have breath, God has a job for you to do in the future. There is one line of work you should never get out of. One line of work you should never get out of, and that is working in God's church, working with God's people. And working for God's glory. You should never get out. Of, you never retire from working in God's church. Working with God's people. And working for God's glory. Let me ask you a question. What would it mean for you if you really began to press on toward the mark. The goal to win the prize that God has called you to. What would it mean for you if you really determined. I'm going to press toward the mark no matter what. I'd like to give you maybe four thoughts here as people are at different stages and different places of their race. It may mean for some to press toward the mark, reading your Bible through for the very first time. It would be daily reading. Daily turning in into weekly and then becomes monthly. You're finding it to become part of the fabric of your life. And, and we would call that experiencing God. Perhaps some of you, it would mean that just like Jesus, this year to press toward the mark, God didn't put you here to be served, but to serve. And this year you're, you're going to find a place to serve God's church and God's people. We call that serving. For others, it might mean you're no longer going to practice Lone Ranger Christianity. You're going to do instead what Jesus called the 12 men to do, and that is to get a part and stay a part of the group and follow Jesus together. Iron sharpening iron. 
There is no Lone Ranger Christian. I don't care what family dynamics you have. I don't care what, what great, great uncle, grandpa, aunt, sister, Rody and all those others may have taught and thought about how you should live the Christian life. You don't find it stamped with God's approval on it to live Lone Ranger Christianity. That's not God's design. If it was, he would not have called the church. He would have not called out an assembly of real people meeting together. And by the way, Church meeting is not just when we have service and when there's preaching and when there's singing. Do you know OPSAT is also called out assembly? When we have prayer meeting, it's called out assembly. It is any time there's a church called out function and assembly. And so what we do is we still practice Lone Ranger Christianity when we decide, well, I ain't going to that one. Where are you and Tonto going to go then? Well, I was wrapping up. So what you need is discipleship. When you get in the Bible, stay in the Bible, we call that experiencing God. When you decide you're not here to be served, but you're going to be like Jesus and to serve, we call that serving. But when you decide you're going to be a part of the called out assembly where you can be equipped and made to be effective in service, we call that discipleship. No one ever graduates from discipleship. Some have just gone AWOL. Then for others, maybe it would mean asking God to lay on your heart a person that you're going to pray for and you're going to seek to see God save them, and you're not going to stop until they get saved. We call that being soul conscious. And then for others, it might mean we need to imbibe all four of these. And just ask God to take us deeper and go further that we might experience the blessed life, the favor of God upon our life, the smile of God. I read about a sharpshooter that lived in the hills of Tennessee. He was known as the very best sharpshooter in the state. A reporter was dispatched from the Nashville Banner to interview him. And he got to the town where the sharpshooter lived and he was amazed. He found targets everywhere. On barns, on poles, on trees, on the sides of buildings. And every target, it was dead in the center of every circled target was a singular bullet hole. A perfect shot every time. He went down to the watering hole to find out where this hero was. And they said, oh, he lives out west of town and his name is Lester. But be careful, he shoots all the time. Sure enough, the reporter began to hear these shots ring out. And soon he was face to face with Lester, a man who had a rifle in his hand and a pouch of bullets on his side. And he said, are you the man that they call the best shot in Tennessee? And he said, yep, you've never missed he said, nope. The reporter said, one shot, dead center, every target. He said, yep. The reporter said, that's amazing. Lester said, yep. And the reporter said, I'm here to do a story on you. Can you tell me how you do it? He said, sure. It's easy. He said, you ready? The reporter said, I am. Lester, the shooter, said, I shoot first and draw the circle later. 
That may work in some make-believe areas far away. But it doesn't work in real life, does it? Listen, God didn't put you here to run a rat race. He put you here to run a real race. You're not comparing yourself with me or anybody else. Paul says comparing ourselves with ourselves is not wise. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The mark is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. The goal is Jesus. The energy is Jesus. The reason is Jesus. The bullseye is not the goal of this world. It's the glory of God. So, draw a circle this year. Put Jesus in the middle of it. Aim for Him. This one thing I do every day. And you'll be able to look in a mirror and see a blessed new you. Leave the past. You've got to live in the present. You can't look at the rearview mirror all the time. You want to glance and see, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit is dealing with me about. This is what He's speaking to me about. That's the way I should have done it. God, you're right, I'm wrong. Live in the present, but look to the future. And let this year be a blessed new year. Let's stand together, please.